0: 20,000 plus here, trying to be that sixth man. Kyrie sizing up Westbrook, fires a long one. Oh, the bottom video game again, Kyrie Irving. Time out, Thunder. I can't take it anymore. Welcome to The Bottom, a Cleveland Cavaliers podcast with SB Nation. I'm your host, Tony Pesta, and today I'm once again joined by Jackson Flickinger of Fear the Sword. Welcome back, Jackson.
1: Thanks for having me back on. Can't wait to talk some Cavs.
0: Yep. So a lot has happened since our last podcast about a week and a half ago. Some good, some bad. The Cavs have survived their road trip and they've slid back a little bit in the standings. They're currently in fifth place. Um, They're only two games back of the second seed. Boston has kind of, you know, built a pretty good lead there over everyone else. So the Cavs are kind of in that, you know, two to five range. They're only about three and a half games back or above the Knicks, I believe. Yeah, they're only three and a half games above the Knicks. So the next few weeks of the season will be interesting to see if they can gain any ground or if they'll fall back. But we'll start off with a positive here uh, to get the pod going. And it's Evan Mobley. Last night, career high, 38 points to go with nine rebounds. He shot 19 of 27 from the floor, which I think is the most impressive part of that, considering he was being guarded by Brooke Lopez a lot in the paint, who isn't exactly an easy person to score on down there he's one of the best rim protectors in the league. Some people are saying he's in the conversation for defensive player of the year uh, a lot Most of Mo <laughs> yes, I agree that that's why I made sure to mention that some people are saying that I recognize he's a great rim protector and a great defender but I think yeah. there's a, a handful of guys that are a good tier or two above him right now.
1: Yeah, I think he's the the third best defender on his team. So yeah, I do. I mean,
0: that's fair. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I do get the team like I think a lot of it comes from last year. He missed a lot of last year, so everyone's like, "Oh, this team's defense is better. Why is it better?" Oh, Brooke Lopez, and yeah, mm-hmm. it is because he is very good at what he does. So I don't want to discount what he does. Yeah, but he's sure. not. But I think it's just a little overhyped. Like Giannis and Drew are much oh, yeah. more
0: impactful. If, if Giannis is in that game, it, things are a little different there. But. But- Nonetheless, Evan Mobley finishing uh, 19 of 27 from the four, very efficient night. A lot of that came off of some assists. Garland set him up very well. And I know a few people were mentioning how, you know, anybody can get 38 when you have Garland setting you up like that. And to those people, I'll just say it's a pretty damn good thing that Garland's on this team, I guess, because I've never really understood that criticism when they talk about Allen and Mobley being set up by Garland. It's like, well, you know, first off, it's not as easy as it looks. And second, I guess it's, you know, they're pretty lucky that Kobe Altman put those two together. Um, One more note here before I uh, ask you what you thought of Mobley's performance. He scored all 38 points without a single free throw or a three-pointer made. Only three other players have done that. Hakeem Olajuwon, Alex English, and George Irvin. So, you know, some pretty good company right there for a guy who, you know, just about a week ago people were saying he hasn't made any offensive improvements. That's some pretty good company to be in for a 21-year-old. Uh what did you see from Evan Mobley last night?
1: Uh first off, I just want to say I love stats like that, especially ones like where a person's not scoring any free throws or um three-pointers. I believe there was a stat going around about Anthony Edwards doing something similar last night with his, with his game. Um I think it's just funny cuz it's like you want three-pointers and free throws, so it's not like yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was honestly
0: shocking the other way that he didn't make any free throws cuz that's a problem he's had uh, most of the season. It seems like right. he's leaving a lot at the line. So, it's still an impressive stat, but it's kind yeah, of one yeah, of those it, weird ones.
1: Yeah, I I I uh, just just do love those stats, but yeah, he was he was fantastic and he's been he's been really good the last couple of games. Uh I thought that he had he was one of the few Cavs I thought that had a really good game against the Warriors. Um Jared Allen really struggled against the Warriors. Um, the Cavs as a whole struggled to clean the glass. They struggled to, you know, use their size. And I think that those issues um, kind of overshadowed that Mobley actually did do a good job doing those things in that game. And to see him carry that over against the Bucks, but do it even better was really impressive. So it's... I have a hard time talking about Mobley sometimes because what he does well, he's just so fundamentally sound. Mm -hmm. He does, he's, he's always in control and he's always, if he's around the basket and he gets up a good shot, it seems like you feel like it's going to go in. Um, So it's just when he's playing his best, he's just doing all those little things right to get himself open. Like a lot of the, a lot of the baskets that he scored yesterday, he was just, you know, moving moving off ball into position to be open for Garland to find him for a um, dunk. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know? that's a great point because, you know, when people say that Garland's setting him up, an underrated aspect of that is the fact that Mobley is so good at uh, moving into open space and knowing where to be so that he can, you know, get that pass in the first place.
1: Right, yeah. And it's, it's one of those things that he does a good job of finishing. Uh, yesterday, he... Um, yesterday, he was he had 11, 11 attempts. He had, sorry, he had 14 attempts in the paint and finished 11 of them. So when he's getting there, he's doing a good job of finishing. And that's something he's done. He's done a lot this year. He's actually, um, he's actually finishing 77% of his uh, physical attempts at the rim compared to just 72.5 last year. So if we're looking at an area of improvement, it's really just finishing at the rim and, You know, we saw that on full display last night because there was there was so many he found so many different and unique ways to finish. Um, One of my um, favorite clip was when he uh, caught it in the um, baseline three point corner uh, and then drove to the basket and finished like that's a good example of what he did. He also did a lot of face ups. He did sometimes he, you know, he did a good job of finishing in the pick and roll, which is not something that he's really. Uh, that's not really a part of his game that he's mm-hmm. you know really excelled really. at
0: he hasn't figured out how to set a pick just yet <laughs> right
1: and he's doing he's doing a better job and it mm-hmm. it also it also helps that the um, box are a team that likes switching and they like the yeah they're going to get out in front of the switch they're not going to make you force the switch so that alone kind of helps helps mobley kind of counteract that a little bit so yeah he was just he was just really impressive was just
0: Yeah, what I loved from Mobley last night for sure was his aggressiveness. I mean, like you said, with the switches, every time they managed to get George Hill on him, like uh, he just went right at him. And that's obviously something that he does throughout the season. But last night, it was really uh, notable just because it felt like every time he touched the ball, whether it's in the pick and roll, catching it on the elbow, wherever he was, it was just he got right to his move. It was one quick dribble and a floater or a post fade. Or one thing that I love is that he just decided to dunk a lot of uh, shot attempts instead of even trying to lay it up. He just went in there on uh, two or three people at times. And, yeah, I mean, uh, we talked about Burke Lopez being a good rim protector, but Evan Mobley jumps higher than pretty much every other person on the floor just because of how long he is and how tall he is. So it almost didn't matter where the contests were because he's able to either shoot it over you or get around you. like the play you mentioned where he caught it in the baseline and drove. He readjusted his shot midair, and if you're a seven-footer doing that, it's pretty much impossible to stop. Like You're going to get a good look. <clears throat> he's shooting 56% from the floor this year, which is a 6% increase from last year. So anyone looking for the improvement there, that's you know where you should be looking. He's taking advantage of his touches, even though he's been less involved in the offense with Donovan Mitchell there. <clears throat> One more stat that I want to bring up. Is that he has scored 17 plus in each of his last six games, which is the longest streak of his career, and he's shooting 63% in those games. So he's done a little bit of a hot streak here, I would say, and and really finding a a little role for himself within the Cavs offense.
1: Yeah, definitely, and it's one of those like one of the things that I really appreciate about Mobley, and especially when he's playing good, is he's decisive but in control. So it's like a controlled aggression. But decisiveness and sometimes when he's not like he struggled, he struggled some at the beginning of January, uh, specifically like against the Suns and a couple of teams on on the West Coast trip. And in those games, when when he does struggle, he's he's not as decisive and he's not as like aggressive, like he's not always looking to finish the play for himself. And, you know, what we've seen recently is he's doing that and, you know, the Cavs are better off for it.
0: Yep. Another player who is benefiting a little bit from being decisive is Isaac Okoro, who since the start of 2023 is shooting 57% from the three-point line. Now, it's only attempting two and a half per game, so it's not like the volume is there. But he's matched his career high twice. Uh, he, had, he was four for six in a game earlier this month, four for four very recently. And he's doing just enough to where I I think it's easy to forget. Some people even now are are critical of him saying that, you know, 50 percent shooting is great, but you're only attempting to a game. You need to get that up still. That's fair. I think we should be looking, you know, at the big step that he's taken, which he's able to stay on the floor, which a few weeks ago we were questioning, is he even someone who can stay on the floor next to those four starters? Is he going to be so much of an offensive detriment that whatever he brings on defense just isn't even worth the cost? If he's hitting 50% of his attempts, even if it's only two a game, that makes a big difference. And I do want to keep it simple and not you know, pretend that he is blossoming as a 3 and D uh, wing out of nowhere. I'm sure his percentage is going to crash back down to earth sooner or later. I'm not expecting him to shoot 60% for the rest of the year. But the question there, is he going to drop down to 25% or 30% where he was before, or is he going to find kind of a comfortable 35% to 40% clip? Because even if it is only, you know, one or two threes a game, just that, just being a little bit of a threat out there is enough to keep him on the floor and do what he does best, which is defense.
1: Yeah, um, it's, you know, it's it's tough. Any, any conversation about Okoro is tough because, you know, on, on one hand, he is still averaging just 5.8 points per game. So he's really he just hasn't throughout the whole year. He just hasn't really provided a whole lot on that, on that end. And he hasn't been somebody that defenses do close out to and respect. We saw in that, in that Memphis game, we saw, you know, what the best version of Isaac Okoro looks like. He was able to be disruptive on the defensive end, which is something that, um, you know, we talk about how good of a defender he is and he, And he is a good defender, so I don't want to say that he's not. But he doesn't always, that doesn't always show up in the stat sheet. Like, he's not someone who's getting a ton of rebounds. Um, You know, he's only averaging 2.5 rebounds a game. But what I really liked about the game in Memphis is he was getting blocks. He was making his presence felt on the glass. And that's just really important if you're going to be somebody who's, you know, not going to give you a whole lot on um, uh, on the offensive end. And one of the things that he's done, one of the reasons to get kind of excited about what he's done is he's really simplified his role. Most of his attempts are coming at the rim or in the corner, and he's done a better job of hitting those corner shots. So, And, and he's more confident while taking those shots as well. So if you're able to simplify his role and he's able to you know, just continue to get better and build off of what he's done recently, then it's like, well, yes, he could, he could be very helpful this year. I don't think he's the Cavs best option this year as the fifth starter. If Dean Wade looks like the player he was at the beginning of the year, but that's still a um, open question.
0: Yeah. I'm with you there. I think uh, you got to keep it simple with the Quoro. You don't want to give him too much too fast. And, I obviously had to mention him because I'm just a huge uh, a Coral believer and he has been playing great, but it's still important to keep reasonable expectations. Like I said, this is a hot streak. It's not going to continue all season. At least I don't think so. Maybe, you know, who knows, but uh, even just hitting the open threes makes all the difference. I don't think he's the long-term starter either. Uh, you would hope Dean Wade is going to be the guy who takes that role as, you know, we ramp up towards the playoffs, but uh, the other thing that I want to mention about Okoro that I've always thought is a very exciting thing about his game is that when he does have confidence and he is able to attack closeouts because he's putting you know enough pressure on the defense, I like his potential as a playmaker. I don't think he'll ever be an incredible passer, but I do think he sees the court very well. And, you know, uh, in that game against Golden State, you saw the tap pass to Jetty Osman there. And that's just one of those things where you can tell that he if he had the skill to, you know, attack people off the dribble, I bet he would be a very good, you know, second or third playmaker. He just hasn't put that together yet, but he has flashed it. Like you said, when he's attacking the rim, he's under more control recently, which I think is, you know, ties into what I'm saying here. He hasn't had the ball handling skills or the control to really be that player yet. And he's slowly starting to put it together. And that's something that I think is really exciting.
1: Yeah, I I do agree with you there that he, that there are little flashes and stuff that you really like, you know, that, that you really like to see from him as a playmaker. That's why the Cavs were pushing point Okoro, uh, not last summer, but the previous summer. If you if you remember in summer league, they were like, Okoro is going to be the starting point guard for yeah. our summer league. team, <laughs> And, you know, it was okay, but it's, you know, one of the problems about the Cavs becoming good, you know, being being competitive the last two years is they don't have the ability to just say, Hey, Isaac, just run the second unit, you know, and that's really what he needs to be doing. If he's going to have the confidence that he need that, that you would like for somebody else on the floor, like he needs to be comfortable putting the ball on the ground, you know, operating an offense. And it's just the Cavs aren't, aren't in a position for him to do that at this point. So know limiting his role and putting him into a, a box doesn't really help him long term but it does help this team short term so it's just it's just been a weird balancing act of trying to balance you know what this current Cavs team needs and what isaac okoro needs for his development
0: yeah and not to backtrack too much but i think it's similar with uh mobley some people are saying you know well why don't we see him go and and be that aggressive every night it's kind of difficult when you have Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I know some people look at it as a negative, but Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland are very good options on offense. And for someone like Evan Mobley, whose offensive game is a little unpolished, he's still young. It's hard to get the ball out of those two all-star guards uh, out of their hands. And so that's where, again, talking not to backtrack, but Mobley's aggressiveness is something that's going to be important because when he gets the ball, if he's being hesitant – or he's deferring too much, then you kind of run out of opportunities to develop that game. And so just like a I want to see both of them take advantage of the opportunities that they get. I think the important thing with the that's happening during the streak too, is the fact that he is just taking shots when before you could tell he really didn't want to shoot. Now, when he's opening the corner, he's putting his hands up. He's calling for the ball. Like he's ready to catch and shoot. And I think that's another big step. Yeah, that
1: um definitely is. He- he needs to be ready and wanting the ball in those, in those situations and to kind of, you know, bring it back to Mobley once again. Um, One of the things that should also be noted is like Jared Allen has quietly been on a little bit of a cold streak the last couple games. And we saw that, we saw that uh, in the game against Milwaukee, he only played, he only played 27 minutes and had 12 points. The previous game he was held to just eight points. So, you know, Mobley, being aggressive and, and at his best is coming with Allen not playing well as well. So it's just like when you're going to talk about Evan Mobley, you're going to have to talk about what Jared Allen's doing. You know, the Cavs really needed Mobley to be more aggressive because Allen wasn't playing good, but you know, they don't always need super aggressive Evan Mobley because as you said, you have Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland and you have Jared Allen who, you know, probably at this point is, you know, you know, better running the pick and roll and things like that
0: yeah exactly there were some people you know tweeting about how well we need Evan Mobley to do this every night and it's like do we really I don't think we do not yet in the future hopefully he gets up to that and you know not to jump too far ahead but it's possible that in the second half of the season second half of the season he bumps his numbers up to maybe 18 to 20 a game, depending on how you know consistent his aggressiveness is and if they can continue to find opportunities for him. But right now I, I don't think he needs to do that much more than what he has been doing. I think he does need to take it a, a step further with make taking advantage of his opportunities, but we don't need him to score 30 a night. We got Donovan Mitchell and we got Darius Garland.
1: Yeah. One of the things I would, I would also look at there is he's done a good job in the clutch of you know, when he's getting the ball in the clutch, he's making decisive decisions. He's not afraid of the, of the, um, shot. So, you know, if he's doing stuff like that, he doesn't need to be taking, you know, he doesn't need to be taking 20 plus shots a game, you know, because when you have one of my, one of my favorite things that David Griffin ever said, and he was talking about LeBron was when you're trying to fit a team around LeBron, you want to be really careful about who you're giving possessions to and who you're allowing to control the ball because, Every time somebody else takes a shot and controls the ball, it's one chance that LeBron didn't have to do that. And Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland are not LeBron. But when you have a team like that, you want to be kind of careful about the shot distribution and who's getting all these shots. So yes, Evan Mobley scoring 38 points is great. You want Evan Mobley to be aggressive, but looking at his you know shot attempts probably isn't the best way to measure that.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I actually did want to mention his defense, too. I forgot to bring this up uh, when we were first talking about him because he has been on a little streak here of where it's like you get to the fourth quarter. uh, He did it against Memphis and Utah, two games where I can remember specifically where it's like maybe the two best defensive quarters he's had. And he's been doing this all within the streak of scoring 17 or more a game. And it's easy to forget that, you know, people focus on his scoring, but he's already an all defensive caliber player. And he has really been shining in the fourth quarter recently where, you know, you kind of get through the rhythm of the game and he gets a feel for what the other team's doing. And then you get to the fourth quarter and he just completely shuts it down to a degree that I don't think we've seen from him before, where he's just absolutely controlling things on that end. And if he can continue to do that, I mean, the Cavs are going to be a really scary team and we do need to talk about their defense. Uh, I think this is a good transition to maybe one of their downsides recently, which is defending the three point line. Um, Everyone kind of has a different take on what's going on with this. I think multiple things can be true. They It started off when this narrative first began, was in the Toronto game and in the Brooklyn game in Indiana. It was this three-game stretch where they just got absolutely lit up from behind the line. And at the time, everyone was saying it's bad luck, and it was a pretty fair you know assumption to make because those three teams were just shooting – unbelievably good even though the Cavs weren't giving up that many open looks they were just nailing everything since then this trend really hasn't died down teams are just continue to hit three-pointers against the Cavs Uh, the Golden State game was probably the most glaring example of this where you're playing basically the Santa Cruz Warriors and they come in and just rain three pointers I'm not sure what they finished but uh, it was about midway through the quarter the third quarter and Golden State was shooting 64 percent from the three-point line and it's like there's really no excuse for that. Uh, luck can only explain so much of it. I'm interested to hear what you think is going on with the Cavs' defense on the perimeter.
1: Uh, So the Warriors finished shooting 53.5% from yeah, deep.
0: That's 23 of good. 43. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how, were, how were the vibes at the game there? Oh, man. Well, there was a lot of Warriors fans, to be honest, at least where I was sitting. But the vibes were not great. That game got off to a very rough start and it became clear that this wasn't going to be just an easy win that we all thought it was going to be.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's why, that's why you just don't buy tickets to MC the Warriors. <laughs> you just know bad stuff's going to happen. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't matter. I was, um, the Cavs haven't won. They're now they're two and 20 against the Warriors, including, uh, the finals since 26, since the, um, since coming back from 3-1. Yeah. So it's just I, the Warriors have had their number.
0: Yeah, I believe their last regular season win was Christmas, that that Christmas Day game in 2016. So it's been a little while since we got a win against them.
1: But but yeah, so uh going back to the um defense. So the defense has been a issue um the 3-point defense has been a um, issue. One of the things to point out though is that 3-point defense has been bad but the overall defense hasn't you know so like they're still defending at a good at a good rate they are um you know on the season they're the third ranked defense and in the last two weeks there's still the ninth ranked defense so even though you know it seems like things are bad with how many shots opponents are hitting they're still a very good defense it's just that when you're giving up three-point shots like they are when it rains, it pours. So, and that's what we saw against, against Golden State. We saw a situation where it was raining and it was pouring and there's nothing the Cavs could do. Um, But this has been something that has happened numerous times this season. Uh, This, you know, on the, um, on the, on the season, opponents are hitting uh, 36.9% from three. That's 25th in the, in the league. And if you look at the teams You know, a lot of people say, well, 3.3% percentage against is luck. But when you look at the teams that they're around, like 30th in the league is is, is the Spurs, 29th is the Pacers, 28th is the Timberwolves. Like those aren't teams that are defensive minded teams. Like they're not great defensive teams. And when you look at, you know, the teams that are closer to the top, you get, you know, teams that are better that are better defenses and this is something that has really has really you know been amplified in their um last 15 games in the um last 15 games opponents are are hitting 42% from 3 which is outrageous that's to just be ridiculous. hitting yeah that's, and that's everybody
0: Stephen curry pretty much right there Right. And that's 15
1: games. And one of the things that's really interesting is that they're not giving up a whole lot of, th- like, they're not giving up a whole lot of threes during that stretch. They're giving up 32.1 a game, which is the fifth fewest in that stretch. It's just the shots that they give up are just, you know, wide open corner like,
0: threes. Against well, they're corner just,
1: State. well, they're just, well, they're just like premium shots against guys that you don't mm-hmm. want to have those shots. So, when you're just looking at the numbers it's like well well the numbers say they're not giving up a bunch of threes everything's gonna be fine and that's not really you know that's not really the case you know one mm-hmm. of the things that we've uh that we've seen this year compared to compared to last year is you know they're giving up you know they're giving up more threes than they were giving up last year last year they were um they were ninth in the league in three point three point shot percentage against uh, three point shot attempts percentage against. Sorry. This year they're 16. So it's, so they've taken a step back and you know, what we saw in the Golden state game is when there's a screen, the, the bigs are going under on the screen to protect the basket. So we saw numerous situations, especially in the beginning of the game with Jordan Poole, they would set a screen for Jordan Poole off ball, Isaac Okoro would get screened. Jared Allen would retreat towards the basket, leaving Poole wide open. Okoro can't get around it fast enough. That's a corner three. We saw that repeatedly, things like that. And then by the time, by the by the end of the game, the Warriors were just slipping all these screens and just getting easy baskets inside. And that's the problem that you have when you're just giving up those looks. And we saw that, again, to a different degree against the Bucks. The Bucks were uh, Bobby Portis uh, hit five threes last yep. night.
0: Started five for six in the first half. Pretty sure. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And they he, were all pretty much all wide open. Yeah.
1: He was just doing like a pick and pop. Everyone mm-hmm. stays with the ball handler. They just pass back out to him. It's just the in rhythm. Nobody, <laughs> nobody around jumper. So it's just, you know, it's, it's a conversation that they need to have, you know, the way they play defense is they they want to collapse and protect the paint, and that's that's a winning strategy. And but the problem is that's not going to work against everybody. I don't expect the Cavs and J.B. Bickerstaff to change their you know game plan on a game to game basis. That's just not how the um, NBA works. Usually, you you just stick with you know stick with what you do all all season, no matter the the opponent. But when it comes to the playoffs, you know, that's something that we need to see change. And when they were, you know, this is what burned them against the uh, Hawks. You know, they were going under on those screens against Trey. Trey was getting those open shots. And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, you know, do we, you know, Trey's going to start missing those shots. You want to, you know, if he's going to make 30 footers, I guess you'll lose. And it's like, well, at a certain point you want to say, you know, let's not have their best player get the shots that he wants all game. So it'll just, it'll just, you know, it's something that they need to iron out and fix. And it's something to keep an eye on during, during the playoffs. Is this something that JV Bickerstaff is willing to change? Can they, are they going to switch more? You know, one of the things when you have two bigs like Mobley and, and, and Allen, you have the luxury of, if you switch, you can still have a, still have a room protector on the back line. So, you know, it's, it's something that's going to be a problem all All regular season, but we'll just see, you know, what adjustments they make when it comes to the playoffs.
0: I think luck, uh, like I said, luck only explains so much of it. I think multiple things can be true at once. They have had a little bit of bad luck against teams, but they also aren't doing themselves any favors. And I think the other two problems is that it's the game plan and it's a little bit of poor execution at times. Um, In the NBA still, despite the fact that we've had this three-point revolution, the primary goal for every defense is you want to limit shots in the paint. That's still the the easiest shot in the game, and it's the one that you need to take away. And the Cavs do a good job of that, but in the process of doing that, you're going to concede a lot of three-pointers, and it's really all about which kind of three-pointers you're going to give up. I'm perfectly okay with the Cavs giving up the occasional three-pointer on the wing or at the top of the key to certain players. But there's really two things that you need to make sure you're doing is one, you need to make sure that it's not the best shooter on the other team getting these open looks. And you also don't want them shooting from the corner because pretty much anyone in the NBA can hit from the corner now to some degree. And if you're giving up corner threes like they did in Golden State, you're just asking to get cooked. That's like you're going to get killed every night, even if you're, you know, saying it's a little bit of bad luck, like Ty Jerome scores 22 points. You could have seen that coming, but. If you're giving him wide open looks in the corner it's kind of hard to be mad at anyone other than yourself for that <clears throat> yeah and, it yeah go ahead
1: oh I was gonna say yeah it's it's tough with the corner threes because what the cats do a good job with they do a good job of limiting above the above the break threes but then when they get to the corners a lot of times they try to help down at the rim and it's you know it's I think that's okay ish like if you know like, that's not the end of the world. It's just when you keep going under on these screens and allowing the allowing the person who's being screened for it to be wide open, that's a problem because, you know, you're only going to screen for shooters. No one's setting off-ball screens for Isaac Okoro. Mm-hmm. You know, you're setting the off-ball screens for your Donovan mm-hmm. Mitchells. So that's where it's like, if you're going to just drop so so heavily and hope that the defender that's being screened can get over and then still contest that's where it's, that's where it's an issue.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> and I think that's where uh, sometimes the poor execution comes into play because for example, in the golden state game, there were numerous times in the first half where Jordan pool had the ball on one end of the floor on the wing and someone's wide open in the opposite corner because whoever's guarding him is just so far in the paint cheating over. And, you know, you can just zip cross court pass wide open for a three. And that's one of those instances where, Yes, you want to play help You're two or three passes away. You want to be in the paint, but you have to kind of recognize you have to be in a position where you can still get out to contest if you have to, and I think that's something that the Cavs have hurt themselves where they're a little too eager to help. Even the guards sometimes are a little too eager to get into the passing lane, and then all of a sudden you're giving up dribble penetration, and that's where you get these kick-out three-pointers because as great as Mobley and Allen are, they can only be stretched so thin. They can only cover so much ground. And Mobley is the lead leader and league leader in three-pointers contested, which is a good stat, but it also shows how, you know, you have your seven-footer doing a lot of chasing out there. And I think this is something that I would hope is going to improve with Dean Wade back, just giving you another guy who can, you know, defend multiple positions and kind of make up some ground at the point of attack. Because like I said, you're going to protect the paint and they're going to, there are going to be driving kicks throughout the course of the game. It doesn't matter if you have the best point of attack defenders in the world, which we don't, every team is going to give up driving kicks to a degree. The key is you have to be able to scramble and rotate and stop them from getting their first option there. And that's something that I think Dean Wade is going to help with, hopefully.
1: Yeah. And it should also be noted that the book, like last year, teams weren't game planning for the Cavs to a degree that they are now. The Cavs are one of the better teams in the, in the, in the East East. They're within striking distance of the two seed uh, teams are game planning and teams know what they need to do to beat the Cavs. This isn't just another game on the schedule for a lot of these teams. So that's, you know, with the book being out, that's why we're seeing such a big jump in the three point percentage against and we'll see if the Cavs can make any in season adjustments to make that a little better. Cause the, they, they they do need better execution because you have to have more hustle to get over on a lot of these screens, but you know, it's, it's kind of what their defense is built to give up.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, you know, it's a good point that you bring up that the Cavs are no longer just another game on the schedule teams really are taking them seriously. And that's part of the reason why they're kind of stuck in this middle ground with a bunch of other teams right now is because, This is their first time having to get over that, you know, last season. Well, they dealt with it a little bit last season, too, but now their first option isn't always there and they need to counter what the other team is doing to counter them. And that's where you're going to get to the difference between a good team and a great team. Are they going to be able to put it together? Maybe this season, maybe it'll be next season. I think people need to keep in mind that this is we're in the long game right now and you still want to, you know, get as far as you can this season, but they're learning and they've, definitely shown some important flashes that they are getting better but there's still things they need to improve and there's things they need to adjust and i would hope that after these last 15 games they're taking a serious look at what what are we doing wrong uh, defensively and and figuring something out
1: yeah and another thing to keep in mind is that they're also without donovan mitchell they're also not taking a whole lot of threes and that's one of the things that really stood out against the bucks and neon um warriors you know, against the Bucks, they won, but the Bucks hit 14 threes, the Cavs hit seven. That's twenty that's a twenty-one point difference right there. Um, I believe against the Warriors, the Cavs so the Cavs hit the Cavs actually had a pretty good shooting day. They hit 14, but they you know, the Warriors hit 23. So mm. you're still losing that battle by 27 points. So without Donovan Mitchell, they need to find ways to get other guys three point attempts. And that's kind of difficult with how the roster is currently constructed. So it's kind of it's it's a problem on both ends that they're giving up the threes and they're also not able to generate them.
0: Yeah. That's something where if you look at a team like Dallas, for example, they're not the best defensive team. But if they get into a shootout, they can shoot themselves too. So they 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 can also shoot with the other team. So uh that's something that the Cavs can't really do to a degree like if the warriors hit 22 threes there's only so much this offense is going to be able to do to make up for that with their current spacing i do want to add that with rubio and wade back uh against the bucks we saw maybe the most spacing they've had in years where i think it was a lineup of rubio wade jetty and love together and i was just like wow this is really nice to see a team where they're playing five out and almost everyone's a shooting threat mobley uh, against the Bucks, wasn't he didn't hit any threes, but he was a threat in the mid range, kind of you know expanding the floor a little bit, and that was just really nice to see, and hopefully we can see more of that throughout the year. Yeah,
1: it's it's helpful to have more players who can provide different skills, because one of the one of the problems that the Cavs have is you know you have Okoro, Stevens, Mobley, and Allen all in your rotation, and they're all they all bring different things, but they're all limited on the, on the offensive end in terms of shooting. So just having more guys who can provide shooting, you know, like just like just adding Dean Wade and, and Ricky Rubio, who may not be the best shooter, but he's going to get them up and he's going to be able to Um, he has, he has, he has gravity on ball and is able to find other shooters.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm still looking forward to the first Rubio heat check. We haven't really gotten there yet. He's been, kind of just focusing on getting everyone else involved and getting back into the swing of things. But he was, he was taking some shots in the Milwaukee game where it started to feel like old Ricky. They didn't go in, but it's coming soon. I hope, man, I need to see him start draining some threes in those little uh, drifting mid range shots that he was hitting last season. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yeah. That's, that's one of the things that we really don't talk about is he plays. So he's such a smart and heady player and then he'll just take the dumbest, craziest he shot ever. He takes just the
0: craziest risks. Like, there was a I forget which game it was. It was Milwaukee or – I think it was the Milwaukee game. He threw a full court pass to Isaac Okoro with, like, two defenders on him. And somehow it got there. I, it was the Milwaukee game because I think Grayson Allen stripped Okoro. So it didn't turn into anything. But that was one of those things where it's like Rubio is this super smart, high-IQ player but he'll also just throw a full court dart between two defenders that has almost no chance of getting through. And sometimes it works. And I think that, you know, keeps the defense on its heels. Yeah. It's, I mean,
1: yeah, he is a playmaker in every sense of the um, term. Uh, And sometimes being a playmaker is you're making plays for, for the other team as well.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So anything else you want to add there or should we wrap it up here? Do you have anything else you wanted to get in?
1: Um, I mean, we can talk about Garland.
0: Yeah, go ahead.
1: I mean, Garland, like Garland's playing really well recently. Um, his game's got against, the
0: sling off of his thumb.
1: Right. Yeah, he's playing and he's playing really like that game against Memphis was maybe like it's it's not gonna go down as his best statistical game, but it was just a great game where he was just in complete control the whole time and he was you know, he was confidently he got, he got Jaron Jackson Jr. switched on to him, and he was like, this guy's in foul trouble. I'm going to take him to the basket and make him foul me, and he did. So it's just things like that from a confidence level we haven't always seen from Darius, and it's, and it's something that we haven't really seen from Darius when Donovan Mitchell is on the floor as well. So we... We, we talked a bunch about Evan Mobley being aggressive. What we really need to talk about is Darius Garland being aggressive when he's playing with Donovan Mitchell because the pairing has worked out incredibly well, especially for their first year, but you'd still sometimes like to see a little bit more aggressive Darius.
0: Yeah, I agree. He had a 24 and 14 in the Memphis game, and he also had 31 and 9 in the Golden State game despite, you know, that not really being one to remember and then he had 21 and 10 in the milwaukee game so these three games here without mitchell uh what did mitchell play in the memphis game i don't want to no no speak. no no he, he didn't, didn't play okay, i didn't think so yeah so i mean that's a three-game stretch there where he's really just in full command of the offense and he's playing great uh even the golden state game where there was a lot to be desired there he had 31 and nine and um I think, yeah. yeah, when Mitchell gets back, you want to see him to continue to be that guy. And I think Mitchell has even said it himself where he tells Garland all the time, like, you need to take some shots sometimes. Like, you you have your own share of the offense, and the more you can give us, the better. So I, I hope that that's something we continue to see.
1: Yeah, and the uh, Monday game against the Pelicans on MLK Day, he hit the two step-back threes. Um, yeah, to put it away. To sa- yeah, to save the Cavs from truly the worst – the worst facing lineup to ever to ever see an NBA floor with uh, <laughs> Stevens and Okoro out there with the two bigs. Um but yeah I mean if he's making stuff back three this doesn't really matter. But yeah it's something to definitely keep an eye on because you know Garland's best game of the season against against Minnesota very early on that was without without Mitchell on the floor. And by the same token Mitchell's 70 71 points uh garland didn't play that game. Yeah. So it's just Finding that balance between them is something that you'd really like to see. It's been like, we like, it's been good, especially when you look back at the other two big trades of the um, off season with Minnesota, that's been a disaster. You know, Atlanta Go Bears not fitting in yet. And yeah, they're just not fitting in as well either. So it's like, they fit in well and they've, they fit in more than well. They fit in really good. Mm-hmm. It's just
0: – just need a little polishing is all.
1: Right, yes. Yeah. So don't want to be too critical there.
0: And I think Rubio actually helps with that too because, uh, like we talked about before, the Rubio and Garland lineups, like you start off with Garland and Mitchell and maybe Mitchell has, you know, is taking more shots there. And then Mitchell goes to the bench and you have Rubio and Garland. And now Garland can kind of play a little off ball and focus more on scoring. So that's one of those things too where I think with the Cavs, getting all their players back everything gets a little easier for garland and mitchell to fit in where they need to be and listen i'm all right with them taking turns going off if mitchell wants to score 71 one night and mitchell one, or, and garland wants to get 46 or 52 i'll take it you know
1: yeah uh so this week the Cavs have the knicks on tuesday the rockets on thursday uh okc on friday and and round out the week against the clippers on sunday so should be should be some interesting games in there.
0: Yeah, that's a, a lot easier schedule than we've been used to. I'm uh, looking at Tankathon right now. The Cavs have the second easiest schedule in the league for the remainder of the year. That changes all the time as, you know, the games go through. But something to keep an eye out. It's possible that the worst is behind us. Maybe the Cavs are going to really put it together and, and end on one hell of a streak. We'll see. Like I said at the start, they're really in the middle of, like, four or five different teams right there. This could be a year where they end up jumping all the way up to the second seed at their worst. They could be in the play in again, or maybe they'll just stay right at the five seed. There's a lot of different directions. This can go. I think, you know, the last 15 games have been uh, a little bit of a battle. They've been banged up. They've been on the road. Hopefully we'll be getting everyone back uh, and hitting their stride here at the right time. Because, uh, and one last thing that I want to mention, <clears throat> they're basically at the same pace that they were last season. But the important thing is that I don't think they're about to fall off a cliff like they did last year. I think at worst they'll stay just kind of at the same pace they're at now. So what do you think?
1: Yeah. Well, they fall off a cliff because Sexton got injured. Then Rubio got injured.
0: Yeah. Everything just caught up with them. Right.
1: And then it's just, they can't, they can't Mobley wasn't able to be the center uh, full time. So when you, when they lost Allen, it was completely over. So, Uh, You know, if they all get hurt again, uh, they could fall off a cliff. um, (laughs) Uh, Provided that they don't. Provided that they don't. Like, it wasn't, it never felt to me that they were losing games because they were inexperienced or they just couldn't do it. It was like they didn't have the guys. Moses Brown was playing a lot of minutes. Ray John Rondo was a key contributor at times last season. So, you know, if they were running out those guys again, then I think we'd have an issue. (laughs) Yeah, but
0: they're not. Yeah, Uh, a little bit of luck in terms of in in health would be huge there. And another quick thing to mention that I think is important is even the games that they have lost this season. They've been competitive pretty much every night. So even if this team ends up sixth or seventh, that will feel like a disappointment. I would understand why people would be disappointed. But if they were competitive for almost 82 games and just a couple of them didn't go their way, it is what it is. Like I said, this is the long game now. I don't think they're going to compete for a championship this year. Maybe they won't even be there next year, but as long as they keep taking steps forward, that's what you want to see because they're all young. Donovan Mitchell's the oldest one in the core at 26, I believe. They're going to get there if they keep showing the incremental growth that they have been showing, but you got to keep seeing it, of course.
1: Yeah, and what you want to see is for the rest of the season is how are they going to balance having that fifth guy who's who's going to be that fifth guy in in um, clutch times and crunch time so um you know I don't think that guy the perfect guy's on the um, roster but you know we'll just we'll just see how it goes this year
0: yeah all right so I think that's a good place to wrap it up thank you everyone for listening please uh subscribe leave a rating Hit me and Jackson up on Twitter. Follow us. I'll I'll have the handles there. We'll be tweeting out the episodes. And uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And thanks for coming on the pod again, Jackson. No problem. Thank you.